Hi there, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuham. Tamsin and Dan read the paper on uh, Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Happy birthday to my sister, Sarah. And after that, happy birthday to my brother, Steed. Two big birthdays. This Two week. big birthdays. There you go. We, we did a group call, group FaceTime call. All the siblings. Yes, to, the Granger uh, family. It was a yeah. triumph of uh, technological acumen. To wish Steed many happy returns mm-hmm. and uh, relive a few memories of the 1964 World's Fair and other fun things. Yeah. Good. You enjoy it? Yeah. Okay. Good. I was there at the World's Fair. I remember that. I don't remember the Granger family, but I remember being at the World's Fair. Yes. So that's always the big joke that you and I must have uh, passed probably saw each other and didn't even realize what was ahead, what lay ahead. What lay ahead. Yeah, maybe that's possible. I was there at the World's Fair a lot. And uh, you were only there once or twice. Because but... your dad had a spin art booth or something, right? right? Yeah. And you worked it sometimes. Uh, no, I was too young to work it. Come on. Oh, okay. I don't know. I was uh, You seem very uh, no. capable spin to me. Art, spin art is very complex. Very complex. <laughs> First thing you got to do is you got to convince people that they want a piece of spin art. Which is, for those who don't know, you just take a cardboard square or rectangle, you place it on an apparatus that's going to spin it around like crazy, and then you drip paint on it. And it right. makes so anybody, an abstract expression. Anybody with a record player could do it. Uh, well, right? it's pretty messy with a record player. You would really wreck your record player. But uh, this was set up in such a way that uh, the paint did no harm when it went splattered about. And everyone would look at it and say, boy, that looks just like a Jackson Pollock, except maybe a little bit better. And, uh, you know, people in New York, Long Island, pretty sophisticated. They knew all about Jackson Pollock. No, the, the idea is that uh, no, idea is. it costs no money. Oh, no, 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 no. What do you mean it costs no money? We charge money for it. I understand. Yeah. But out of the range of souvenirs that yes. you could be buying for your kid right. in the World's Fair. Yeah. And your kid's saying, ah, you know. That's probably a great alternative. I, I don't remember what we charged. And it's easy to throw away. Yeah. It has absolutely no sentimental value. There are yeah. no views on it. You can't, there's no, you know, personal well, touch. You want to know the real sad truth about this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that when my father signed a contract, which he had, which was signed by Robert Moses on the other side, because Robert Moses... Do we still have the contract? I think we do somewhere. That would, that would be funny to see. And it gave my father an exclusive uh, to all the spin art in the World's Fair. And it was fairly successful the first year, and the World's Fair just broke the contract and uh, let out other places to do spin art. And, like, sue me, they said. And my father wasn't going to sue him until he was out of luck. He well, got pushed around by the city. Darn shame. Bullied by Robert Moses, yeah. I'm, he was not the only guy who got bullied by no, he Robert wasn't. Moses. No, he wasn't. As so there far you go. as I can A tell. A taste of real life at an early age. Okay. There you have it. Artists suffer. They suffer, you know, for their art, and we suffered for our spin art. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Yes. So, speaking of suffering for your art, we saw the power of the dog. How's that for a transition, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the power of the dog, the movie, uh, which is widely spoken about. Uh, and as- also, our friend Dixon had seen it. Yeah, okay. And we saw Dixon, and yeah. he said, yeah, 
No, he was more positive. Than he that. was that's not. not no, 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 no. Dixon, I, Dixon right. is positive about everything. No, Dixon liked it. No, he didn't. He like can it. write in. If he, he did not like Look, it. Look, my point he is, he said some people like it. No, he liked it. And here's here's the deal. So the power of the dog. Let's just cut right through it. It's going to win Best Picture this year, or either that or Licorice Pizza or something like that, but probably The Power of the Dog. And it is the movie that's directed by Jane Campion. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch as a tough-as-nails buckaroo. Uh, so he's Western playing figure in against 1920s. type. I don't know if that's against type. Benedict Cumberbatch has a really wide I, range, okay? I believe that, yeah. but many articles were written yeah. saying that he wanted to do something that was totally out of his normal... Yeah, um, yeah, right. It, it, it is a little bit. It, okay. For no other reason than he usually plays an Englishman and he was an American here uh, with a hard-bitten American accent. And he is tougher than nails, meaner than dirt, um, and uh, it has uh, you know negative effect on all those in his orbit, including his brother, his brother's new wife, and the son of his brother's new wife. And the audience. Uh, well, <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You didn't like it that much. You know, there are sometimes you have a tough-as-nails guy in a movie, and you don't hate him as much as I think we were meant to pretty much hate him. Well, we were meant to. I mean, yes. so, so it's not like he fouled up that he played the part. No, but it just... Uh, okay, and so then the problem for me was yeah. that uh, I didn't like him, mm-hmm. but I also didn't develop any kind of uh, relationship with the... Characters who I think were supposed to be more sympathetic, mm-hmm. the you know the victims. Yeah, uh, and I can tell you what. First, let's let's stay on what's positive for the moment. Then we'll drill down on exactly what you're talking about because I don't disagree with you. I thought it was beautiful to look at. It's filmed in New Zealand, but it's, it's supposed to be 1925 Montana. But you could fool me. Shockingly yeah. fabulous scenery. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Jane Campion, of course, is from uh, New Zealand. She did the piano with Holly Hunter years ago. Do you remember that? Um, and uh, the music I liked. Is that uh, the one where the piano sinks to the bottom of the water? Yes. 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 You remember that. Yes. It, it, it's a striking image. So here, you know, it's the guy who's the lead guitarist for Radiohead, did the music. Uh, I think it's Johnny Freeman. I can look up his name. But it's very, very striking. Uh, and it really goes, at least for me. Visually I, striking. And, and musically. Musically yeah. striking. Right. So there's a lot going for it uh, in terms of craft. Uh, and it carries you a, a long way. And, and Cumberbatch has a striking portrayal of this guy who is terribly rough and mean and harsh. Um, the problem I thought with it, and, and, and I'll say too, a lot of people like the movie. A lot of critics in particular like the movie. Um, a little more so than what I'll call the regular audience members, at least according to um, whatever that's called, Rotten Tomatoes. But here's, here's how I would put it, but I'm agreeing with you entirely. You didn't identify with the characters, and one of the reasons is that a lot of the actions that people took in the movie almost seemed arbitrary. It was You didn't know the characters well enough. They started doing things, you're saying, really, why are they doing that? Or does that make sense? Or is that inevitable? Or is that where I see this arc going? And they started to seem a little bit like, uh, you know, pieces in a puzzle that we are being presented with other than real characters. And for that reason, I don't think we identified with them particularly. I don't, I, I, you got the wrong word there. What's the word? We I don't want? need to identify. We okay. need to empathize. Yeah, okay, so I'll take okay. that. Okay. Um, I don't have to 
like the people or yeah. you know feel that I've got connection. Right. You know, I I need to. But you have to see them as real characters. Yeah. You have to, uh, have to see them as imbued with real emotions right. and real whatever. Right. And they didn't seem real. They seemed like devices at a certain point. Uh, and uh, you know we can't of course reveal the ending. Uh, I didn't think the ending was good. I, I, I thought that played like a device. I, I thought it played um, in an artificial Deus way. Ex Machina. Yeah. Let's I, call this to a close. Yeah. Time the time to finish it up. But uh, one of the one of the things that people said about the movie who were negative, and there are plenty of negative reviews to go with the many positives, um, is something that you said, and that it was dull, that it was slow, yeah. and. That didn't bother me as much, but a lot of people felt that way about it. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not what you want. So, again, I started by saying I think it's going to be best picture. Also, I, I thought but it was dark. Nothing wrong with dark. Nothing wrong with dark. I mean, look, you can see a dark movie that's a great movie. I can name dark yeah, movies that were great well, movies. But uh, this was... Many dark films. Were all right. Films. But, so, um, but in any event, so we didn't love it. Uh, and we can't even agree on whether Dixon loved it. So we're a little up in the air on this. But, um, you know, it's, you're on your own. Uh, what can I say? So it's been super, super cold. So it's, it has been good weather for watching things on the smaller screen. Right. Although we have been out doing a little bit of uh, skiing. You in particular. In yes. the fields. Yes. Just, uh, and and we of... should get credit for that. Because, you know, yesterday was, today was 20. Yesterday was brutal. Brutal, because it was like ten degrees with no, twenty well, one hour winds. No, it was it was twenty degrees when we went out, or eighteen degrees when we went out yesterday. Yeah. But it was you know like ninety mile an hour okay. winds. When I, I went out before you, it was, oh. it was colder. <laughs> it was uh, strong men. Let me put it: Benedict Cumberbatch could not have stayed out in the cold uh, in that kind of weather. Couldn't have cut it. But it, it but it, it felt still shockingly good to be out in the fresh, crisp air. Yeah. And so then uh, we were huddling for warmth in the evenings, and uh, we started watching this show on HBO. Is it HBO? Yeah, I think it is. HBO Plus. Somebody Somewhere. Right. Somebody Somewhere, uh, which stars... Uh, Bridget. Bridget Everett. Who's a comedian and a singer. Right. Cabaret not, not, performer. Not who we're familiar with, but yes, no. all true. And... Um, you were the name of the other fellow who's the co-star. Jeff Hiller. Okay. Is one of her uh, right. friend, her friend co-stars. Really. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's produced by the Duplass brothers, who who are all over a lot of different productions, uh, and it is. Well, why don't you describe it? Because it was. Well, it's your a story idea. of uh, a woman who's you know trying to find her way. Yeah. And she's she grew up in what is it Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, Manhattan's and, a big city in Kansas. And uh, she left for a while. Yeah. To go to the big city or whatever, she came back and uh, was once again trying to find her way. Yeah, uh, trying to find her place in the world. Right, and uh, it's it's uh, I guess a vehicle for Bridget Everett. I it's assume. Pretty, I mean, yeah, she's the yeah, center of it, and yeah. the character is loosely based on, on her story. A lot of her skills. Yeah, uh, as, as she is from Manhattan, Kansas. Right, and she uh, is a singer as part of her act, and she sings in the show. Yeah. Uh, and it has comedic aspects, but it is dark. Talk about dark. Talk about a girl who told me a minute ago she's not into dark. This is uh, downbeat. It's nobody is killing anybody. No, not yet. No, but uh, <laughs> it, it's dark in the sense that it's just it's realistic about uh, 
people's uh, dreams and disappointments. Well, people who... And yet really... it, she's a comedian, Dan. Well, it It's doesn't... also mildly amusing. Mildly would be the key word in that. I, look, I think it... it I, I like it. I think it's interesting. I thought I liked the first episode more than you did, but... But I, I don't, the amusing factor hasn't really kicked in for me yet. It, 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 it's, it's on the periphery. I, it might be coming. I'm going to point out the amusing parts right, to you, you do the that. next time we watch it. I usually it. rely okay. on you for that. You, okay. you know better than I do. All right. But no, it is, um, it's just dark because it's kind of true to life. And well, life no, well, no. is it, not it, always a last It's not because it's dark is true to life. It happens to be about uh, true life individuals who have uh, not the rosiest prospects in the world. That's why it's dark. They, they I mean, true to life is always dark. There's a lot of light, but in this, they're focusing on people who are challenged, uh, and she does not have the happiest circumstance. And we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's not a one note. You know, is it dark or is it light? Uh, the characters seem real. Her struggles seem real. Her efforts uh, seem real. So it, it, it's kind of interesting. That's all. So it, it is. I do think it draws you in because there's a, a realistic patina to the whole thing. It, uh, it's more compelling than your average show because it seems more real and it's not um you know boom 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 no it's it's, it's not it, contrived at all no it's it's certainly it's not complex fashioned in such a way that to give you a laugh at every 10 seconds right they don't they don't set up a problem right. and then you know right. somebody runs in right. and saves the day and everything's it's not fine. the office right no, no it's not that so anyway, so somebody somewhere yeah you can watch it but if you on have the hbo if you have a glass of wine with you you probably uh, it would help you are, are you reading anything good these days? Uh, am I reading anything? I'm reading this book. I don't have it right in front of me uh, about uh, screenwriting. Uh-huh. I don't have the name in front of me because uh, I wasn't prepared to answer that question. But, uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, but, and you? Uh, we'll talk about it another time. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic book. I mean, I could go up and get it if you want me to get no, it. No, that's all right. That's yeah. all right. See, I know you're comfortable. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm still listening to... Uh, Louise Penny's uh, stories about uh, the Chief Inspector Armand Gamache yeah. in Quebec. Yeah. And of course, it's, you know, it's got everything you want. It's got scenery. It's got food. Yeah. It's uh, got references to culture and art and history. And, uh, you know, and, you know, there's always a murder. It's, uh, you know, just um, a modern development of uh, what was that show? The uh, Angela Lansbury show? Uh, murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. Yep. Um. So anyway, uh, and uh, and I'm yeah. I read a John Banville, uh, mystery. He's given up his uh, his mystery pseudonym, and now he's writing under his own name. And that was okay, but it was super super dark. So, but uh, the Louise Penny on Audible is just kind of fun. It helps you do your, uh, helps you get your exercises. All right, I'm moving on here. Okay. I, I know you're busy with your phone. I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it. You kind of put me on the spot. I, I can't remember the name of the book. We'll talk about it the next time. Um, okay. Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, who cares really, right? Who cares who's the Hall of Fame? Uh, we care about it once a year for about 48 hours. So this is the 48 hours. And I don't care about it. Uh, we, okay. we don't have to talk about no, it. No, listen, the 48 hours the world wants I know, to know. Uh, yeah, I, I know. Look, let me, let me. Very exciting. I have the solution to a problem that's a... So a lot of pictures of a difficult problem. Yeah, a big pop he got in, David Ortiz. 
which is neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. But, but uh, fine, he's a very good player. I guess he deserved to get in. But he, like everybody else, sort of touches on the big issue was off-the-field performance. And, of course, uh, you know, the biggest issue was steroids, but it's not the only issue. And there was evidence that he used steroids early in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the writers voted him in at the first opportunity anyway. And there's a complex reason why. You know what that is? They right. like him. Uh, and the writers vote in the people that they like. So um, the problem is that... This is not really shocking news. I know, but it spills over because if you were just voting baseball statistics or baseball performance, you could have a legitimate argument who belongs in and whether the writers did right by them. But once you put in citizenship, if you will, using that term broadly, mm-hmm. uh, is, it a, is he a good guy? Did he use steroids? Did he do something politically incorrect? Whatever it is. Then it's a mess, and that gives these writers a license to vote against whoever they want to vote against and to favor what they consider the good guys. And that's what you've got now. You've got a total mess. So he was the only one who got in. Now, there are two kinds of – let me just give you the answer here. There's two kinds of issues. Who didn't get in? Everybody else. Uh, who well, that you in? care about. You seem to be exercised oh, well, about is, people not getting Barry Bonds, in. Roger Clemens, A-Rod. Uh, but the guy who annoyed me most with not getting in was Kurt Schilling. And let me explain why. There's two kinds of issues, if you can divide them. One is what I'll call performance-enhancing issues. Right. Steroids, right? Okay. Uh, I actually agree those folks shouldn't get in. Even okay. though uh, not everyone agrees with me, but they're not right. on the podcast. And? Because their statistics are off. Right. Uh, There's an asterisk. It's, it's worse than an asterisk. The numbers are inflated. The performance is inflated. Okay. okay. All right. That so to me matters. What's the other? Okay. The other is the guy doesn't get in because he's a bad guy. Because he's considered uh, something about him is somewhat deficient. Um, he was arrested or he wasn't arrested. He said the wrong thing in the media or whatever. And let me just give you an example. It's better that way. Kurt Schilling. Yeah. Kurt Schilling as a pitcher checked all the boxes. I mean, fantastic performance. And you've heard of Kurt Schilling. Haven't you? Nod your head. Sort of, yes. Yes, okay. Not only that, but he was considered a good guy. As they say in the Times, he won the Roberto Clemente Award, Lou Gehrig Award, Fred Hutchinson Award, Branch Rickey Award. These are awards given for for citizenship, for being exemplars of the best kind of person in baseball, for uh, being a great citizen and showing sensitivity to all kinds of things. All right, so he's got that. He's got everything going for him. So what's his transgression? His transgression is after he retired... Yes. On social media, he made some remarks that people thought offensive, certainly not politically correct, and I'm not going to get into how you feel about him. Uh, he, he made some statement about he thought that uh, uh, people who were uh, transsexuals, uh, he thought, you know, he got into the whole, what bathroom should they use, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and this, there's no no way to work that through, and he probably handled it the worst possible way, right? Okay. And and maybe made a remark about one or two other things, but nothing that jumps out of you that's a bigger issue than that. All right. Uh, and then he got a lot of negative publicity about it, and that's why they didn't vote him in, because of stuff he said on social media after he was done playing, right. which had nothing to do with baseball, because now they have a good citizenship requirement, all right? Now, you know, it can get harsher than that. Sometimes there are people who are arrested uh, for doing bad things. Again, bad character. I wondered even if that should stop you, but that's not Kurt Schilling's issue. But the point is, once you get into these citizenship things, forget it. And what, what that leads you to, my rejection of that, leads you to the conclusion that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Because Pete Rose... 
Then he was performing enhancing drugs. He's just accused of gambling. He didn't fix any games. All right. He bet on his own team. All right. He didn't fix any games. So he basically was ahead of his time. He was, uh, you know, embracing gambling on major league events before the league started embracing it just a few years ago. All right. But my real point is there's a distinction between performance enhancing drugs on the one hand and what I'll call good behavior on the other. I mean, to give you an example from the tennis, just quickly, and we'll move on. Uh, Raja uh, won the um, Australian Open. Okay. Um, and Who uh, won this? Raja. That's what we call Raja. Who's, who's the guy who won it? Today, um, Nadal. Nadal. Well, no, we call him Raja. Uh, Rafael Nadal. Okay. Rafael Nadal won. And, uh, oh, Rafa, Rafa, Raja, whatever. All right, all right, go on. He won, okay? And now he's got 21 wins. So Djokovic has 20 wins. But if you did the Hall of Fame voting for tennis today, people wouldn't vote for Djokovic because he's an anti-vax guy, all right? This is the same kind of logic would apply. Right. Uh, you can't have that. All right, I'm catching on. Okay, you got it? All right. And we see. love the art, art, even though we hate the artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sure. that same conversation is going on, but we don't have time for well, that. Well, we're going to get back into no, it. We'll be getting about a cello right. later. No. Uh, that's a little preview. Well, I don't know about that. And I just wanted to mention the little um, get well soon to Egon Bernal yes. from Colombia, right. who uh, is a top uh, cyclist, right. won the Tour de France and Giro d'Italia. Yeah. And he was in an accident in Bogota. Not hard to be in a traffic accident in Bogota. He was biking. He was training. And, oh, the Bogota uh, he, traffic is horrendous. I guess he must have lost his concentration or something. He ran right into the back of a parked bus. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, suffered quite a few Yeah. He's injuries. a great champion for Colombia. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. So get well, Bernal. Okay. Well, I'd, uh, before we get to the art, and we're all interested in that, I just love these kind of things. There's an article called, Is the Great Resignation Overblown in the Times? And there's a lot of articles you read about everybody's quitting their job. It's the Great Resignation, as sometimes it's called. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out with a quote. This is from them on January 6th on their website. Quote, number of quits at all-time high in November 2021. Article by Peter Coy. He says, well, that seems like a big deal, except for one thing. Uh... They haven't kept that statistic for a long time. So we have no idea. Well, they have kept it for uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So to say it's at the all-time high is to say that you know, since 2001, it's the highest number. But that's all. That's all it means, which is not a lot. And he said there was a similar statistic that existed before, going back to the 1930s. And that seems to indicate that uh, in, in, in you know the 40s in particular, uh, the quits... We're calling people leaving their jobs. We're probably at a rate of six times what it is today, and it was probably higher. Also, he speculates in the seventies and the eighties. All right. So, so there's is, nothing that's. Uh, this is not really a huge outlier. Okay. Does this go under the heading of you know when I was a boy? No, it goes. I had to walk twenty miles. No, it goes in the, the heading snow of, to get to. It goes you know, in the heading when of when I was a boy, people were quitting like no, crazy. No, no. This is nothing. It goes people. under the heading of uh, figures don't lie, but the liars figure. Well, that but we it's know. particularly annoying because it comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They put out the misleading the line. Yeah. I mean, how? Why would the Bureau of Labor Statistics do because that? Because who? Whoever thinks about them otherwise. 
<laughs> Maybe that's the reason. Right. Any publicity is good publicity exactly. from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay. Now, right. Let's bring everybody up to date on some pressing art matters. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? Yes. And art does matter. Yes, of course. We like to think. Um, and so last week, you know, I was all kerfluffled uh, about the Faith Ringgold yeah. mural at um, Rikers. Now, yeah. Rikers, you know, the famous... Uh, prison is going to be closed and there's this mural that started out uh, in the women's area then that was became a men's area the men actually complained about it defaced it and it was whitewashed and then and then recovered and uh finally um faith ringgold has managed to uh um facilitate it being moved to the Brooklyn Museum. But there was also a line about it being repainted. Mm-hmm. So as well as I can figure out from the various articles, yeah. okay, um, the, paint, the, the mural itself is movable, right. actually. It's actually been moved before. It's been in exhibitions mm-hmm. recently. So it will be moved, but um, this uh, Agnes Gund Fund will... Uh, provide the money, will finance a replacement uh, piece of some sort uh, to replace to, well, the prison won't be there, so I don't really follow that. So I don't know where it will go, but uh, they're not robbing uh, the prisoners of any uh, art. But in the course of trying to research that, I read, um, there's an interesting article, oddly uh, interesting article uh, coming out um, about uh, the rest of the art in Rikers. Yeah. And so there are like at least 60 pieces there. Mm-hmm. There's a variety of, um, I guess, uh, there's a few that were commissioned by the WPA mm-hmm. or that were commissioned by, you know, somebody like uh, from a famous artist like Faith Ringgold or a real artist or, or whatever a professional artist like Faith Ringgold, uh, to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's also uh, a certain amount of art that has been done by artists in the, um, by incarcerated prisoners. Oh, really? okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. As an expression of something. Um, and there were some, in, there were some interesting paintings also by artists uh, meant to, um, they were trompe l'oeil paintings uh, meant to seem like portals to right. enter different worlds right. and like get out of uh, the prison. So it there's sounds, some interesting art it there. It's a little bit like graffiti, honestly, but okay. Uh, no, not necessarily. Okay. Trompe l'oeil just means it's fooling yeah. you. Yeah. No, I understand. It, you know, yeah. It's an illusion yeah. that you could get out. Um, but then oh, there was even one piece by Dali. Uh, he was supposed to come teach a class and he didn't. He said he was sick or something. So he, he scribbled. Uh, something that looks sort of like a crucifix and sent it to them. And it said, you know, this is for the prisoner's dining room, Dali. And uh, um, it hung for a while. And I think it was also defaced and then it was moved. And then somebody stole it. So, right. Yeah. Imagine so, that happening in a prison. But uh, so, you know, anyway, there. so there are questions in general. What will happen to all that um, art okay. uh, once the prison closes down. So that's an interesting thing to think mm-hmm. about. Who it belongs to, who it benefits, does it really make sense to take it away from prisoners mm-hmm. and uh, you know give it to uh, museum patrons or, or whatever. Uh, also in the news, a couple of big sales recently, a um, preparatory painting by Nelson uh, Shanks 
of Princess Diana. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, sold for two hundred over two hundred thousand dollars, which is just interesting. They were way over the estimate was like ten or twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, there's also a Botticelli that sold this week that beat that. Yeah, oddly I, enough, I would think. Yeah, uh, and uh, and. million buckos for uh, Botticelli's Man of Sorrows, oil and tempera, painted around uh, 1500. Mm -hmm. Um, The sad thing about that, I mean, you know Botticelli, right? Primavera, Birth of Venus, um, right? Yeah? Yeah. Isabel? Yes. Okay. Um, Anyway, sadly, uh, a year or two ago, there was a portrait by Botticelli, a portrait of a young man holding a rondelle, uh, painted in 1480 yeah. that went for $92 yeah. million. Dollars. So the difference there is the Man of Sorrows is from Botticelli's late period mm. when Botticelli was under the spell of Girolamo uh, Savonarola. Savonarola. Right. Yeah. And uh, has... Uh, you know, is everything is he's now gone from painting Greek gods and goddesses and wealthy uh, Florentians to um, you know super religious painting, and uh, considered his you know lesser period. Um, he's at the mercy of his religiosity. Uh, they, I don't know. It's still kind of an interesting uh, painting. If you're wondering how it escaped everybody's view for so many years. It uh, was actually one of those paintings that was attributed to the school of the workshop of Botticelli. But now, in the light of modern technology, they've Is ascertained that, you know, that they've attributed it to the man himself. You know, well, listen, it's, forty-five it's, million. It's just too it's bad. a steal. It's just too bad you don't have a Botticelli painting of Princess Diana because that would be real money. That's that's. I don't think she's a Botticelli kind of beauty. Maybe I think, not. Uh, I don't think he would do her justice. Uh, okay. He's a very specific sort of, yeah, what you might call flat style. Oh, really? That uh, is. I thought he was famous for full-figured uh, voluptuous. Am I wrong about that? It's not all about voluptuous. No, no really? I mean beautiful nudes. Venus is is absolutely lovely. Yeah. But uh, there's a, a real sort of almost, I don't know, paper doll quality to his figures, as if they're. Um, pasted on to mm. the canvas. They uh-huh. don't seem to live in really three-dimensional space. Mm. Um, so I mean, right. we can talk about this more. I'm so out of my depth. There's no question. Beautiful, beautiful. No doubt about that. All right. But uh, All right. so, I, I see Diana differently. Yeah. So the, uh, the final story is about um, basketball, college basketball. So here's one of the things that's happening with college basketball because of the pandemic. You know, games are postponed or moved around uh, because, you know, everything is being rescheduled on a regular basis these days. And sometimes when that happens, uh, you end up playing in an odd place. And what do I mean by that? That, you know, years ago, colleges just had their own little venue to uh, play basketball. But a lot of schools went pretty big time. And once you go big time, the big time schools play in big-time arenas, like St. John's has a place to play at the school, but when they have a big game, they're at Madison Square Garden. And the same thing for other local schools, there's always some equivalent. Well, uh, Seton Hall often gets to take advantage of a large uh, venue, but because of scheduling, 
They had to play a recent game against St. John's at their traditional gymnasium called the Walsh Gymnasium, which is a little more than a thousand people, which is, if you know the way they draw people, it's big time college basketball is like nothing. And uh, it was filled with students going crazy and it's a different type of atmosphere. Uh, now the Walsh Gymnasium has been uh, fixed up since it was used many, many years ago for all of the men's Seton Hall games. Uh, when the Seton Hall was big, Seton Hall, St. John's, and Georgetown in the Big East, they mm-hmm. were all in Villanova, big rivalry. And you'd play in these these tough venues. At that time, they describe it here, the Walsh Gymnasium was dimly lit with a dark floor, warped near midcourt after a flood. So it was really a rough place to play. <laughs> you yeah. had to play against them. And now it's had a series of renovations, but it's it's still small. In any event, the recent game... Uh, caused an interview uh, with uh, Bill Rafferty. And you've seen Bill Rafferty doing the NCAA March Madness. He's often a commentator. Yes, yeah. He's associated with Seton Hall. And he has a lot of interesting, funny stories. And he had two I just had to give you here. He says there was one game that they were playing against Villanova. And and this was at their Nevin Fieldhouse. And Villanova used to have two priests sit behind the bench of their team. Mm-hmm. And Rafferty goes over... And he said, fathers, I hope you're praying for both teams. And they said, we are. We're praying for one to win and one to lose. Hardy, har, har, har. Yes. Okay. The better story is this one. Uh, they were once in, in at Walsh, and a referee warned Rafferty that he was about to call a technical foul on the overzealous Seton Hall mascot. So Rafferty turned to his assistant, a fellow named Hadi Mahon, telling him to calm the mascot down. Mahon began to scold the mascot. The mascot said, Dad, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I'd get you. So there you go. All right. So that's what we have. Last day of uh, January, or close to it. Maybe there's another day. I can't even remember. Uh, Last day of football before the Super Bowl. uh, That's right. And uh, our next cast will be uh, in February. So until then, uh, this is Dan Abuhoff. And Tamsin Granger with... Tamsin and Dan read the paper. Bye-bye.